you didn't already open your Bibles to the passage Cliff just read in Matthew 5, I hope you will. We're going to be um, spending the majority of our time in the Gospel of Matthew for the next few minutes. Matthew chapter 5. Very good to all be together um, to see um, less familiar faces, or I mean, familiar faces that we haven't seen as frequently, I guess. Um, a good number that are here, some here for the first time, some here haven't been here in a while. Um, I did just want to just want to acknowledge our sister Marilyn, who's here with us, and uh, that we all regard her highly for her faith and her faithfulness, even through her uh, her recent trials and loss. We all appreciate her and admire her. She means a lot to us, and uh, let's continue to lift up her hands and her good work for the Lord. We love you. We talk a lot. Even those who don't talk that much talk a lot. Every day, every interaction you have are um, dictated, at least to some degree, by words, things you say or things people say to you and how you respond to them. We talk a lot with our lips. We talk a lot with our thumbs and our fingers. Uh, communication is one of the most human uh, actions. What is it people get so excited about with little kids? Oh, they said a word. No, they didn't. They just made a noise. You just imagined it. But we want them to say a word because that's that that's a sign they're they're becoming a real little human, right? That's a big thing for us. Uh, we read words. We listen to words. It's so communication is so important. Even those who are physically incapable of being able to speak. Have you ever thought about how important words and communication are to us? Is that we've invented a whole language that people can use their hands and their fingers to communicate, even if their mouth is incapable of speech. Do your words matter to you on that level, though? You understand what I'm saying? I wonder if we uh, communication is so ever present, it's so fundamentally human. Do you regard speech with the seriousness and the importance that it really carries? Jesus says we must. I'd like us to talk about our speech, speech in the kingdom of God. We're not talking about every single thing. There's, of course, many scriptures that speak to this. Um, but I'd like us to look at a little bit of what Jesus has to say, first of all, about the significance, the eternal significance of our words, of how we speak. Um, secondly, I'd like us to explore what was the actual problem that Jesus was addressing. There's a particular problem in his time and place and his culture uh, that he was addressing. But within that, there are some principles that I think will help us understand how we need to speak and will give us some exhortation. So first, let's just think about the importance of speech. First of all, I know this is an important topic because Jesus talks about our speech in the midst of many other things that we know are very important. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about murder, hatred, and anger. Jesus talks about adultery and lust. He talks about marriage and divorce. Are these important subjects? I should say so. What's the next thing Jesus talks about? How you speak. This is a big deal to the Lord just by the fact that he features it here in the Sermon on the Mount. But look over what he says in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And I want you to think with me about what Jesus says about how important our speech is. Matthew chapter 12. The context here is people have been, I'm not going to get into all of it, but here's the bottom line. Jesus has been talking about uh, God's work in the world, the Holy Spirit. And in that context, once again, really important stuff. Listen to what he says in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, verse 33. I'm reading from the CSB also today. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. How can you speak 
good things when you are evil. For the mouth speaks from the overflow or of the heart, or I think some translations say out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what comes out of your mouth is the stuff that's already burbling up inside of you and it just flows out. Verse 35, a good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, the heart that is, and an evil person produces or speaks evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. You hear how big of a deal your words are, your speech is, according to Jesus? Uh, so think about the first thing that he says is, is your words are directly linked to your actual spiritual nature. Are you a good, healthy, godly person? Your speech should reflect that. If your speech is bad, what does that mean about your person? Can we say, well, I know I said that mean thing, or I know I lied, or I know I, but I, I, I have a good heart. Jesus says, no, actually, you don't. You don't. If you speak evil, that's coming from some sort of evil that needs to be rooted out of your heart, that needs to be addressed and taken care of. Speech is a direct reflection of our spiritual nature and our spiritual well-being. That's a big deal. Does that make you feel good or bad, by the way? Here's the other thing he says. This, it even gets worse because he says, or more important, I guess, but maybe worse, hopefully better. But he says, actually, on the day of judgment, Whenever you are, you have to give an account for your life before the Lord. What's at least one of the critical elements of that accounting? The words that you spoke. Verse 36. And notice the way he says it. I tell you on that day, on the day of judgment, every, people have to account for every careless or thoughtless or worthless word. In other words, it's not just uh, the bad words, the mean words, the lies, the careless words, the words that we're not even thinking about. Jesus, says, your speech is so important. You can't speak carelessly. And when you do, you better repent of it. You need to turn away from that. You got to apologize. You got to turn away from that because that stuff will be held against you on the day of judgment. Your speech really, really, really matters. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 15, Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 10. Matthew 15 and verse 10, summoning the crowd, he told them, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth this defiles a person. Your words can defile you. Now, you may think those words, they have nothing to do with me. I'm just talking or I'm saying that about them. No, Jesus says you're saying something about you whenever you speak, every time you speak. This is something that reflects the nature of our spiritual health and well-being and our goodness or badness, as Jesus calls it. This is something that will determine our eternal destiny. And this is something that has the potential to defile us if we're not paying good attention. Your words really matter. If you think it doesn't matter, listen to Jesus here. And by the way, before I can move on, I'll just say you didn't have to listen to Jesus to know your words matter. I may like to pretend like my words don't matter, but I know words matter. Think about the most painful relationships, experiences, the most lasting scars that you have on your heart and on your soul. Where did they come from? It, and for sure, lots of different ways. But I bet on your top 10 list, the most painful experiences or moments in your life, they were words that people said. Things people said about you that you began to believe about yourself that shaped your whole view of what your life was or what it wasn't or whatever. Some mentor, some guardian, parent, whatever, a lover, a friend. And they said that thing that didn't break my bones. It broke something much worse and much deeper. We know that words matter. Conversely, by the way, Think about the times when you gained the greatest strength 
times whenever you've had hope, times whenever you've thought well of your life and your future and how to be. Did it not come from somebody pulling you aside and giving you a word of encouragement, giving you direction, giving you guidance, giving you new perspective through their words? Words really matter, and we need to regard them as such. And, and whether or not you agree with what I just said, our Lord says they matter. You hear him, right? He's telling us these things really matter. And so they need to matter to us in the same degree. All right. So what was the deal? What was Jesus upset about? We see that our words are significant and they really matter. But what's this business that we read about before the lesson from Matthew 5? Don't take an oath. Don't ever swear. What's that? While we may understand speech is important, all the other stuff, you're like, okay, I get why marriage and divorce is an important topic. I know why murder is an important topic. I know why lust is an important topic. But oath-taking? Why is that such a big deal, Jesus? Why are you upset about that or worked up about that? Look at Matthew chapter 23. And the reason is because in Matthew chapter 23, um, we get a little bit more explanation of what was going on in Jesus' day and the problem or problems of how people, even, well, not even, the religious people, the religious elite, were talking and teaching other people to talk. And what Jesus does in how he addresses this subject is he helps us understand what's actually the problem. It wasn't just the oath-taking per se. Matter of fact, when you go to the Old Covenant, God gave regulations permission for oath-taking. The Apostle Paul calls God as his witness on a number of occasions in his letters. So what was the issue that Jesus was addressing here with this oath-taking? And uh, what are some uh, the fundamental problems that were, were going on with their speech? Just as a fun fact, by the way. It's an interesting thing to do to read Matthew, uh, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, hey, here's how to live in my kingdom. And then go read Matthew chapter 23, which is his condemnation of the Pharisees who claim to be the guardians of God's kingdom. And actually, most, if not all, of the subject matter that Jesus addressed in the Sermon on the Mount, saying, hey, if you're going to follow me, here's how you need to live. Here's how you need to do. Watch out for this. He talks about the violations of the Pharisees and those very things in Matthew 23. That's free. Verse 16, though, here's our subject. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. Blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Also, they would say, whoever takes an oath by the altar means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gift that is on it is bound by his oath. Blind people. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, the one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and by everything on it. The one who takes by the temple takes an oath by it and by him who dwells in it. And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and by him who sits on it. All right. What were they doing? What was going on? Can you, can you see what their deal was and how they would operate? So what they had was this pretty, I guess, elaborate and sophisticated. I don't know if these were the only two rules about oaths, but there's at least two. I would imagine there were more conditions. Basically, they would say, is, hey, if you swear by X thing, you better keep that or you'll be judged. But if you swear by Y thing, don't worry about it. I mean, if you want to keep it, I guess that's fine, but you're not obligated. You don't have to. Uh, does that sound kind of silly to you, by the way? Do you remember ever doing this? Anybody remember ever doing this? Summer of second grade, you're with your friends. Hey, man, you got any more bubble gum? No, man, I don't. Do you swear? Yeah, I swear. You know what I mean? But right? Isn't that it's the exact same thing they were doing? Here's a condition where you don't have to be 
actually following through with your word. Did grownups ever do that, by the way? In business, in relationships, do we ever come up with some condition, some reason why our speech doesn't have to match up reality? In other words, let's just call it what it is. The Pharisees had set up a system to enable lying. That's what they had done. I wonder if they would have called it that. I would guess not, you know, but they, that's what it was. They had set up a system that gave themselves religious permission to lie, to be dishonest. What's Jesus upset about with this oath-taking business? Honesty, honesty, or the problem of dishonesty. What's the other problem that Jesus is addressing here? I think there's at least at least two more. Uh, one is irreverence, irreverence. Notice how they set this system up. What was the supreme oath, like the, the grade A oath? You better keep this or you're going to be judged if you swear by the gold of the temple. Jesus points out, if you're swearing by the temple, you're not very much thinking about the person who dwells in the temple. They had greater reverence for gold than for God. Maybe it showed what their real God was, as Jesus would say in another place. Um, and the altar, same thing. The gift that you bring, by the way, you know, this is my fancy animal, what I earned, what I've raised up, and now I bring it to be sacrificed. If you swear by that, you better keep your oath. But the altar, you know, this place where we are reconciled with God and that God told us to set up to offer sacrifices to atone for our sins, that's not a big deal. Your product, your the things you do and accomplish, the animal you bring is of greater significance than the altar itself. They were irreverent in this. They were irreverent in their speech. All right, so dishonesty, irreverence. I'm going to suggest a third thing. Why would anybody ever be irreverent? Why would anybody ever lie? Is it to disadvantage themselves? Is it to harm themselves and their interests? I would think not. Every lie I've ever told in my life has been to advantage myself because I don't want you to think ill of me because I don't want to get in trouble because whatever. That's why people lie. That's why people disregard God is because I'm consumed with myself. And so the third thing that Jesus is addressing here is selfishness or self-centeredness, dishonesty, irreverence, and selfishness. You see, this oath thing was way bigger than just are you, are you not taking oaths? By the way, I think we should just take Jesus at, at face value. And, and you know, you got to incorporate some of the things that Paul said uh, in, in calling God as witness and so forth. But here's the point. It's not just about oaths. It's about the problem with their speech, which would have permeated all things. And these three things, dishonesty, irreverence, and selfishness, characterize far too much of the speech in the world. And maybe if we're not careful, our speech as well. Because back to where we started, we're always having conversations. And we're having conversations with people in the world. And people are dishonest. And people are irreverent. And people are selfish in their speech. And then we're having that kind of conversation all the time. And then you look in the mirror and say, well, how did I get like this? Because we're following the way of the world instead of following Jesus. Go back to Matthew 5. And I want us to think about these three problems and uh, how we need to fight against them um, in our own speech. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we must speak honestly. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we must speak honestly. Do not lie to one another, the scripture says. Do not. Uh, God hates lies. There, God hates all sin. So it's something whenever God specifies certain sins and says, hey, 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 just to be clear, I hate this one. 
Like, don't you hate all of them, God? Yes, but I really want you to hate this one. Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 16. There's six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. And what's number two on the list? A lying tongue. And by the way, at the end of that list, of only seven, all seven things that God could have picked out to say these are really bad, another one in that list is the one who gives false witness against a brother, which is dishonesty. Do you get it? Out of seven things God could have listed off to say this is bad, this is sinful, do not do this, two of them are about dishonesty, are about lying. This is really important to God. And of course, God hates lying. God hates dishonesty uh, because it goes against his very character. Hebrews 6 and verse 18 says it is impossible for God to lie. Do you know how few things there are that are impossible for God? He hates lying because it's so opposite to his character. Whenever Jesus came into the world, as he's described in John chapter 1, how is he described? He's the one through whom we beheld the very glory of the Father. What is the essence? What is the glory of the Father? He was full of grace and truth. God hates lies. Because, first of all, it's opposite to his character. He hates dishonesty. I'll say he also hates it because every evil thing in the world came from a lie. Every evil thing in the world came from a lie. You shall not surely die if you eat of it. For in the day you eat of it, you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. And ever since... Every bad and evil thing, and all of us could talk about damage we've done to ourselves and our relationship with God, our integrity, our relationships, because of our own lies. But every evil thing that exists in the world stemmed from that first lie and every lie that's gone after it. God hates dishonesty. God hates lies. And frankly, we do too. We do too. Now, we don't mind it when we're the ones telling the lies. But we hate, don't you hate it when somebody lies to you? even about petty, insignificant stuff. It's so damaging. It's so damaging because, of course, what's happening with a lie is I'm creating a facade. Maybe I'm lying about something about my character. I'm creating an imaginary thing, and you're relating to that imaginary thing. I told you that lie about who I am or what I think or what I want, and you're relating to that. Meanwhile, I'm over here watching you interact with this fake persona that I've created or this fake accounting of things, and you're over here I'm over here while you're interacting with that thing that I lied about. The lying is so damaging because then you realize, wait a second, is any of this stuff real? Is any of this stuff legitimate? Lying is incredibly damaging. We know that. We hate lying whenever it's done to us. The, the challenge for us is to learn to hate lies and to hate dishonesty as much as God does and to hate lies that are coming from us as much as we hate lies that are being told to us. We got to learn to hate lying. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 5, verse 37. Don't do all that oath business. You can tell the truth on this one, lie on that one, all the stuff we saw from Matthew 23 and the further explanation. Verse 37, let your yes mean yes, and let your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one, the father of lies, as Jesus would call him in another place. To the best of your knowledge and ability. Of course, I may, I may tell you, yes, and I didn't have all the information. I was incorrect. That's not a lie. That's just, I didn't know. I, that was a mistake, right? But to the best of my knowledge and ability, whenever I say yes, I better mean it. Whenever I say no, I better mean it. And this has got to show up in a lot of arenas uh, of life. At work, when my boss calls me to account for something, and I'm going to get in trouble if I tell him the truth, tell her the truth about whatever the situation is. 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Hate lying more than you hate losing a promotion or losing your job or losing whatever. Let your yes be yes and your no be no on the job. In my most intimate friendships and companionships where, man, if I tell them the truth, I don't know what it's going to do to our relationship. I don't know if I tell them this, I don't know what this is going to mean about the way they think about me. And I don't know. I don't know if they're going to appreciate this thing. I'm going to tell them. They may not want to be my friend anymore. Tell the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, in legal matters, when I'm filing my taxes or I'm filing my immigration paperwork or whatever the case may be, tell the truth. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything other than that is from the evil one. It's very pragmatic. I know it is pragmatic. In a world built on lies, it's very pragmatic to be a liar, to be dishonest. It is. All right. But it is wrong. And we don't live in this world anymore. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So if we're going to follow after our king and dwell in his kingdom now and forever, we got to be people who are honest. And by the way, whenever we're among ourselves, certainly when I'm confronted about a sin or challenged or someone inquires about something's going, I better be honest. I better tell the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no mean no. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to be honest and truthful always, no matter the cost. Remember, that wasn't the only problem that Jesus had with the, the speech of the people of his day and of ours. Uh, but it was that they were irreverent also with their speech. You see that actually outlined here in Matthew 5 with a little greater detail, right? Verse 34, uh, beginning, what, what were they doing? They were swearing uh, by heaven as if they owned the place. And I can use this for my purposes and all this kind of thing. Jesus said, hey, ooh, that's that's God's throne. You don't get to just go grab heaven and use it for your oaths or whatever it is you want to say or not say and your honesty or dishonesty. You don't get to do that. Uh, by the earth. Is the earth yours? Well, yeah, we live here. We occupy. Ah, it's God's footstool. Don't disrespect God by using the earth for your ends and your means in the way that you speak. Uh, he talks about even Jerusalem. Somebody might swear an oath by Jerusalem. By the way, we're getting more explanation, right? We saw some of the things in Matthew 23 they would swear by. Here we get impl implications of some of the other swears. Don't swear by Jerusalem. Jerusalem doesn't belong to y'all, Jesus says. That belongs to God's king that he's sending, the Messiah. Do you see the point? In all of these things, they were taking things saying, I'm going to use this, but really it belongs to God, and I need to use it according to God's standards and speak according to God's standards, not according to my own. Really, any kind of speech that is wrong or sinful is, of course, irreverent. It's disregarding God, displacing God, and placing me at the top of the food chain. I get to talk how I want to talk. I get to speak the way I want to speak or not speak the way I don't want to speak. Jesus says we've got to learn to have reverence in our speech. We are very irreverent. And I don't even mean religiously. I just mean there's kind of nothing sacred. Nobody's sacred. You can make jokes about whoever. Matter of fact, we've got it codified in this country in that little document that we care so much about. I have the right to speak freely. That means I can mock whomever I want. I can talk about whatever I want, however I want. Not in the kingdom of heaven. We got to learn to have a sense of the sacred, a sense of uh, reverence in the way that we speak. Um, the Lord's brother James, whenever he wrote in James chapter 3, he challenged Christians to think about their uh, lack of reverence in how they talk to and about other people. He said, with our mouths, we bless God. And with our mouths, we curse people who were made in, by the way, made by God in his image. My brothers and sisters, this ought not be so, the scripture says. 
And do you see why that's such a big problem to curse other people? Is because you are degrading someone who's made in the image of God, made by God, and God didn't give you permission to talk about that person that way or talk to that person that way. It is irreverent to curse other people. So, and I know, you know what? We spend so much of our time doing spiritual things in church. I don't know of a whole lot of y'all that are cursing other people. But do you ever curse other people? Do you ever speak about people in degrading ways? Do you ever use words to refer to excrement to talk about that person's thoughts or their quality? Do you ever um, just curse somebody? I'm not going to start saying, I don't need to say the words, right? We're okay. I don't need to say this stuff. Y'all get the point. Do you ever talk that way about people or to people? That's irreverent. That's disrespectful to God. Whenever you talk that way, you don't, you're not authorized to talk that way about other people. Uh, we need to have reverence for not only the people that God has made, but also the um, to understand that whenever we speak in a manner that's harsh or violent toward people, that is cursing them. You understand? It's really bothersome. Maybe some words, I think maybe sometimes Christians were like, okay, well, why is this word a bad word? Society says it's bad, so it's not polite to say, but is it wrong as a Christian for me to say this kind of thing? For instance, you know there are people that whenever they get angry with someone, they will use a word to refer to um, acting upon someone sexually, right? And you understand what someone is doing when they utter that curse on someone. Somebody makes me angry and I, I blank that person. What I'm wishing upon that person is that someone would act upon them sexually, whether or not it's against their will. You understand what that is, what we're saying whenever somebody says that? That's terrible. That's why that word is sinful and evil and something we can't speak. It's a curse. And it's a curse on someone made in the image of God. And that shows irreverence for God, the creator and designer of that person. You guys get what I'm saying here? We can't talk like that. We can't talk like that. I'll say this should, I suppose this should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways, because I don't know that, that we may not have this trouble in speaking like the world. We need to have reverence in our speech for God himself, for God himself. We need to regard God and respect God well. It is not surprising to us that people in the world just use God as an exclamation point for their sentences. That's not surprising to us. He's not their God. And so the word God is pretty empty of meaning. It is just an exclamatory phrase. I'm excited. I just say, oh my, I'm upset. I just say, oh my, something good happens. I say, oh, th like meaning like, you know, uh, I, I don't know. They gave me extra fries in the bag or whatever. And then I say, oh, thank. They're not being reverent in that. They're just talking. And Christians can get, slip into that too, where we just use God's name or God, which is one of his names, frankly, his first name he uses when he introduced himself in the Bible. In a flippant sort of way. Look, if you say, oh, my God. About something that you would actually be praying about. You're being reverent. OK, no problem. But if you're using God or speaking about God or certainly the name of Christ in just an exclamatory way, uh, because you're excited about what happened with your sports team. Now, look, if you really think that God was involved in your sports team having victory and that's your faith and you're giving thanks to God genuinely. God bless you. And I mean that sincerely. But if you're just saying that because that's what people say, oh, thank God in this kind of way. No, that's not for us. Because what are you doing when you talk like that? Or, you know, I don't, you get my point, right? All these little things that come up, we're like, oh my, you're showing God is not that big of a deal to me. 
I don't have that much reverence for God. I don't have that much respect for God. I'll just use him in everyday kind of stuff that is not, I wouldn't be praying about this. I wouldn't ask somebody to pray about this or give thanks for this. Well, then get his name out of your mouth. Don't disrespect him. Don't dishonor him. Show reverence for God in your speech. All right. If we're going to speak like Jesus wants to, we got to speak honestly, truthfully, always telling the truth. We need to learn to have reverence in our speech whenever we're speaking. And the third thing I'll say that really ties all these together, as we said, what was the reason why the scribes and Pharisees and why all of us commit any sins with our mouth? It's because of selfishness. And if we're going to be people who speak the way Jesus wants, we got to learn to speak selflessly, selflessly. Why is Why do we gossip? Why do we gossip? Is that to help the person who we're talking about, to build them up, make people think good about them? No. Because I know if I got this juicy little cup of tea that I can give to you, spill out on you, then you'll be my friend. Or not a real friend, really, but you'll listen to me. You'll think I'm important. You'll care about what I have to say. It's for me. Again, why do we lie? It's so you'll think well of me or so I'll get to have some sort of advantage in society. Why do we speak angrily about people, yelling and cursing at folks and that kind of stuff? Why do people do that? Because there's some sort of emotional catharsis comes with that. Maybe there's even a sense of power that I got to put them in their place. I told them exactly what was on my mind and I let them know about it. And there's something powerful about that and not as many consequences as punching them in the face. Selfishness. Why do we we tend to be so critical of other people? Is it because we actually want that? Hey, you know what? I just wanted to share something with you that I think will help you enjoy your life better and be in better shape. No, it's because I'm so sick and tired of you doing this thing and I'm going to just criticize you and say bad stuff about you. You get the point. It's all selfishness. That's why we speak the way we speak in the world. Not in the kingdom of heaven, y'all. Not in the kingdom of heaven. You remember the rule for our speech that the Spirit gave there in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29? Let no corrupt speech proceed from your mouth, but only the word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to the one who hears. If you evaluate your speech, by, by the way, corrupt, unwholesome speech is the opposite of all that stuff. Build someone up, needful in this moment, it gives grace to the one who hears. The opposite of that, that's what corrupt, unwholesome speech is. If you evaluate the conversations you've had just in the past day, and God help me and God forgive me, because I can even think for myself, that was not really wholesome. That was maybe something fun or funny, I thought. I don't know that helped that person when I was speaking. And God help me be better about that, because we got to change, y'all. We cannot be people. We're different. The world speaks for its own purposes, for its own ends. Just like the father of this world spoke for his own purposes and his own ends when he told that lie to deceive from the beginning. We don't speak like that. We speak like our Lord, like our king. Who The words he said were not always very nice, like he said things, blind fools and stuff like that. But they were for our good. It was to give grace. It was to turn us away from our evil and put us back on the right path. Every word God has ever said, back to the scripture we read at the beginning, what did Moses say? If you're going to really love the Lord, what do you need to do? Listen to what he says, because what he says is for your good always. What he says is to bless you and to enrich you. Our words need to be the same. No more gossip, no more angry speech, no more complaining and grumbling, no more criticizing others with 
the only end to be to make myself feel better because I got that off my chest. No more of that, y'all. We're following our King Jesus, who every word he spoke was for our good, and our words need to be the same if we're going to follow him because that's the whole deal, y'all. He didn't give us all these rules about anger and lust and marriage and speech just to give us rules to keep, see how we did at the end of the obstacle course. He's given us these rules to change who we are, to make us to be like him. His words have mattered from the very beginning up until now because it came from him. And he tells us that our words matter. And if we learn to speak and control our speech and have our speech guided by truth, reverence, and selfless love, then pretty soon you'll look up and you'll say, wow, not only is my speech different, I'm different. I'm not like this world that's dying. I'm like the one who is life itself in whom is grace and truth. That's what's going on here. Our Father in heaven, please change us. Please fill our mouths with your words, with your truth. Forgive us for all the ways when we can speak like this world, speak for our own ends and our own gain. Teach us to be honest, truthful people always. Teach us to be reverent for you in everything we say. Teach us to be selfless, to love as you love, so that you'll make us to be more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.